Welcome to the Western Hunting Podcast. This last week was a busy one for me. Finally got out to do a little bit of pheasant hunting. Pretty excited to hit the field, but man, my shotgun work needs some needs some serious work. Uh, thanks to my buddy Jason for inviting me out and getting to hunt this pretty sweet little piece of property with lots of birds on it. But these late season birds are wild and crazy and, and don't hold tight. So that was the problem was trying to get on these birds, jumping up early, long shots, birds are cruising quick and trying to figure out how far to lead, how, um, or just hold right on them. Man, I am not a good shotgunner. So that's something I need to work on, which is a real bummer because Sunday before that, I was shooting some ducks and feeling great. My shooting was was excellent, and those were not too terrible different of shots. Uh, maybe they were, uh, but need some work. That also just been thinking a lot about the next season. It's 2024 now, and a lot of folks are thinking about what they're doing with this their new year and where they're going to go, what they're going to do. So it's time to be really diving into some of the planning for 2024. There's just too many options. And that's just what I'm stuck with is a ton of options on what we want to do, where you want to go. And we got to get up on some of those new regulations, drawing stuff, process, the processes of each state. Some things are changing, some things are not. So it requires some homework. Last thing uh, for this last week is feel like a total hypocrite, but it's January. And then I started a workout, which I wanted to do it in December, but I could never get to the gym that I was looking at. But I remember from an episode I did with Ben Honig way back uh, on, it was one of those um, getting in shape kind of episodes where he had mentioned something about mixing it up, what you do throughout the year. And I took that to heart. I really like that idea because I can't just do the same thing over and over and over again. So I th- decided that maybe during this January or December to um, springtime, this will be my jujitsu time. So that's what I started this last week. I've got a wrestling background. I love wrestling. And this is a way to kind of hit the mat and, and get a little scratch that itch, but get go get a good workout try something new and make it fit into the schedule. So did that. Uh, then maybe spring I'll work into just more shed hunting, uh, a little more hiking, summer hiking, and then do a program of some sort of mountain tough or something like that to get ready for the season before that. Got to hit some of that core stuff and those other things that your legs just don't work. Things that don't, don't get worked while you're just doing a little hiking. So yeah, that's my week. Seasons are wrapping up or they are wrapped up. And man, I just do not feel good about the amount of time I spent in the field. I had some good adventures and memorable hunts, but it just is never enough. The next couple episodes are all connected. So if you're listening to this one, make sure you listen to episode 180. This is at 181, uh, but 181 through 183 is this series. So make sure you listen to them in order. Uh, So in these episodes, it's all about R3 recruitment mainly but retention and reactivation are part of it as well oftentimes react reactivation happens the same time recruitment happens this is a topic a lot of i feel very knowledgeable on i think and act on it every single day it's the reason for this podcast however i know i've got more to learn i've brought on a few folks with firsthand experience to share this experience so um hopefully we get a little few few stories in these as well but um plus uh there's a touch of cuteness in this first one which is great gonna have have a youngster in there but also my youngster i'm excited to hear him see what he has to say i haven't interviewed that that little guy yet but uh um yeah from the the mouths of some youth to see what they have to say that'll be fun to listen to always uh thanks for listening you can keep up updated on what's new in the podcast instagram and facebook at western hunting hub and hopefully this intro sounds great hopefully my sound is really good this episode was not done with this new mic and a new interface and all i've got some new tech going on that dump some money into so hopefully it sounds good you can see my little meter where my mic is starting to pop a little bit so i gotta 
learn this new system see how how it uh uh i can sound good but this episode i've got jason and vivian on to talk about uh what they're doing in the field and how jason has gotten vivian rolling with hunting and uh, it's a good one thanks for listening Recording in progress. <laughs> the our eyes light up. That was great. <laughs> All right. We are joined today yeah. uh, with Vivian and Jason. Um, Vivian, we, we uh, need to hear a little bit about you. Um, we know you're in Western Colorado, but how old are you? Uh, how long you've been hunting? What grade you in? Tell me those things. Um, I'm 12 years old. I've been hunting for 30 years and I'm in seventh grade. Seventh grade. Awesome. And, uh, color, where were those? I mean, 12 years old is that area of time where you're able to really be basically an adult hunter or join in with the same exact things everybody else can do. But in the previous years, before you were 12, where did you get to go hunting? Um, I went to New Mexico and yeah, I went to New Mexico three times. Oh yeah. Cause so, so New Mexico has got some great things for youth then. Cause if, if that was yeah. uh, mm-hmm. 10 or nine, 10, 11 or so, um, or 10, 11, 12, whatever that ended mm-hmm. up being. 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Or 10 and 11 actually. Yeah. yeah. And we're seeing this and then 12 years old. We're seeing this across the West opportunities for youngsters under 12, just opportunities expanded greatly. Uh, we see that in South Dakota here. As long as you can carry the gun um, and pull the trigger, you can hunt. <laughs> you, there's no age restriction um, for a doe tag. Um, and uh, Utah, what's Utah got? I know you guys do do a fair bit of applying there. Utah's 12. That's 12. Yeah. Uh, Utah's 12. Arizona, uh, I think, is 12. No, it's 10, um, but very difficult to get tags there, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, in Arizona. Nevada uh, has some uh, – but the thing about Arizona is they charge, like, her, her deer tag this year for Arizona was $25 as a non-resident oh, youth. That's awesome. All right, so a big deal there. She did draw a tag there this year. Uh, Nevada has a cheap youth tag. It's $5, I think, is their hunting license and then and their applications. Uh, Kansas doesn't restrict age, I don't think. Uh, New Mexico doesn't restrict age. Um, so there's there's quite a bit of opportunity out there for youth. And then a lot of those states also have tags that are specifically in the draw for youth. Um, and that's, I think every tag that Vivian's actually drawn has been a youth specific tag. Oh, so awesome. I was going to, that reminds me, I was going to do an episode on just the, just the youth opportunities. Um, I want to mm-hmm. figure those out for, for a bunch of the Western States and see where people can take their kids under 12 and then little bit into the 12 to 18, that gets really complicated looking at too many States. Um, but you at can least pretty much go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but a lot of us are, are thinking about getting our kids, our kids into things before 12 because we're ready or you can be ready. Um, and so let's just start Vivian with, uh, um, some of your hunts. I mean, this is your third, third season. And, um, you've, uh, definitely done more than I think a lot of other adult males females have done you've gotten an opportunity that i know i probably i will not ever have um with your oryx and uh some of those other species that a lot of people have them on their bucket list and it's down down the road and and hard to get so what are some of those hunts that you've done that have been just amazing and fun to go on um In New Mexico, what'd you do? I mean, the elk hunt was really fun with the hiking, but it was fun when I shot the elk. 
then the cruise right now wasn't really fun because it was like four days. Yeah. But I, when I shot the deer, it was fun. Yeah, you so. got a nice one too. You got a pretty yeah. nice one. Um, so Coos yeah. Whitetail, you got a sweet bull. That's a it was a five point, right? Just a a heavy, heavy yeah. five point. Um, and then your orcs. Tell tell me about your orcs. <laughs> that was New Mexico. Was it? Remind me, was it the management hunt, the on the base or off the base? Yeah. Yep. It was so every time we apply in New Mexico, there's a box you can check that says, Well, I will participate in population management hunts Mm -hmm. in your application. And I always check that box. And that's how I got my oryx on Fort Bliss. And then Vivian got her oryx on what's called the Hornada Experimental Range. It's kind of a farming experiment out in the desert just a big piece of land and they need to cull the oryx so that they don't destroy their farming experiments. Um, but it's on the West side. She actually shot her oryx on the white sands missile range, but most of the hunting for the white sands is on the East side of the mountains. And this is just the section that's on the West side. So They allow that, that section of hunting to be on the Hornada, but they allow us to hunt that West side of the missile range uh, there in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, but they called us in, January said, Hey, we've got a tag available. And Viv, we drew Vivian's name. Do you want it? <laughs> so of course we said, yeah, made time for it and blasted down there. We call it a smash and grab. Yep. Yep. That so it's, is a, usually it's a 12 hour quick. drive. And you hunt for about six or eight hours, I think is all we hunted. She shot it early afternoon and, and we went and stayed in the hotel that night and went home the next morning. So it was a pretty quick trip. Yep. Yep, it was much needed hotel stay. I don't remember. So I don't remember it that well. Okay, it was six hours. Um, But yeah, we did stay in a hotel. (laughs) So, so one thing that you want to do with kids, you know, is make it a comfortable, fun hunt. You know, Um, it wasn't particularly warm in the forecast for that week, so I figured that camping. And then towing a camper there for one or two nights is not really worth it. Um, So camping in a tent wouldn't have been real, real fun. Um, So we just got a hotel for like 60 or 70 bucks a night and um, ate out, you know, had fun, just some daddy daughter time there. And you had to meet out at the Hornada office at like (laughs) 6am. So we made sure we slept well during the dark and, um, there were four hunting parties thanks for the correction there yeah. <laughs> i have a middle school um there were four hunting parties and there were two guides so they split us into two groups and um we were pretty chill about it you know i just wanted to go out and look and have a good time but the guys that were with us the other hunters were pretty dead set on getting something so we kind of let them go first um and they they blew a couple chances actually <laughs> right off the mm-hmm. road um and so we just kind of continued to help them and glass and they found a good group of oryx and the guide sent them off uh, toward that. And then he, he actually like, um, after they left, he said, I think I need to monitor these guys a little bit and you guys look like you're pretty competent. So I'm going to just tell you where to go. And he, he just told us some roads to drive uh, that we hadn't been on and told us where the gates were for the missile range and, we got off the main road at one point about an hour or two after that and had a decent, probably a 30 inch Oryx at 300 yards. Um, and they know people are hunting. So you have about a minute to get set. We just couldn't get her set up. You know, she's a, she's 11 and young hunter and mm-hmm. we just couldn't get her set up in time and that one boogied. And so we just kept rolling and um, eventually happened on to one that didn't know we were there is about 600 yards out walking across in front of us. And, um, we got into a drainage and got to 150 yards mm-hmm. and she took a shot like, and this is that, you know, the grass there's kind of tall and the bushes are kind of tall. So we couldn't put her on a prone position, which she's used to shooting, but, um, we put her on a bush <laughs> and she, she's, uh, kind of a little bit wobbly, but she got a bullet in him. And, and then you had to shoot. um 
you know, he just kind of turned around. I don't think it was a great shot, but he turned around and uh, just stood there. He's got another one in him, and he went and bedded down. I think he was going to die from that one. Yeah. And so we snuck up there to where we thought he was, and we ended up – we actually ended up bumping him um, and, and ended up putting him down right there, um, busting him out of his bed. And he's a little – Young is an adolescent, but 22 inch Oryx and, um, you know, she's pretty happy and pretty proud of her for that too. Yeah. So yeah, so, it, was a, it was a good time. How just in this last season, uh, how far do you feel comfortable shooting at a deer elk shaped animal, Vivian? What's your, what's your cutoff for how far, how, how far do you think you want to keep it under? So I'm going to remind her that her deer was 80 yards, her coos whitetail, <laughs> and her, her elk was 325. 325. So which one were you more comfortable? The 80. Yeah. 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 Do you want to closer the elaborate better. on how you felt? Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on how you felt on that long 325-yard shot? And it took us 10 minutes to get her set up. Yeah. So do you want to kind of walk everybody through <clears throat> that process, what you were thinking and I was like, I was like saying to myself in my head, I don't want to miss, don't miss, don't miss. Like, so. And what I tell you? It's okay if you miss. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a long shot. It's okay if you miss. But we had a super stable spot and we were able to put, you know, rocks under the gun and I had a bipod under her, uh, under the gun and. She did get, I mean, like I said, it took us 10 minutes. She got pretty emotional. Do you remember that? Yeah, my hands were shaking. She was shaking pretty good. There was a point at which she just about started to cry. Yeah. You know, which is, which is perfectly fine. I'm proud of her for actually being um, worried about the welfare of the animal. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if she didn't feel comfortable taking that shot, I want her to be able to, to recognize that. And she did that. Um. But she calmed down and took a few deep breaths, and um, we went through the the routine a few times. Are the crosshairs on the elk? Does it look good? You know, is it aimed right? Um, you know, and she's shooting a suppressed 308, so there's no kick at all. And she eventually, you know, got comfortable, and we had the elk bedded down below us, so she got comfortable and eventually pulled the trigger and. Do you remember what everything on the insides looked like? What'd you hit? The heart. I I just totally blew up the heart. Yeah. Oh, really? Was... Yeah. So it was bedded down, leaning back a little bit, and it hit the hit the heart and went through the the backside lung and lodged in the backside hide. So the bullet did. So yeah, it was a great shot. Awesome. Uh, what kind of things have you yeah. done to prepare for? make taking a shot at an animal what have you done to get ready um well i've practiced a few times just once no yeah (laughs) i know you you guys have the property to be able to do some shooting how often do you get out and even just shoot with a pellet rifle or a 22 Sometimes, like, we say we do it, and then we don't do it that day, and then we don't do it the next day. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes things get in the way. Yeah. We probably shoot once every two months. Yeah, that's great. Like, if I'm being honest, we don't shoot regularly. Um, So. Do you know when most guys do some shooting? (laughs) Probably right before the season to make sure their gun is zeroed, and their gun in, right? <laughs> and then they and then they go out and shoot their animal or miss or not, um, or they yeah. make great shots. But um, it's very difficult to have a place to go do that, or um, the ammo is expensive, or you can't find it, that sort of thing. So definitely, what what gun do you like to practice with? Like, do you remember? Remember what caliber? Go ahead. Isn't it the 
22. We have a 22, 22 long rifle that they shoot a single shot that yep. we do short shooting on. Um, and then I have a suppressed 22 250 uh, oh, is the majority great. of our practice. And we, we have um, rodents on our property that like to frequent our Creek Valley below our house. So we'll shoot probably 20 of those a year. And, you know, they're 10 inches, 20, 12 inches long, and you're shooting two and 300 yards. So we get some pretty good target practice with that gun off of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And when did you yeah. say you, Vivian, when did you say you started practicing when you were like nine, that same same year you started hunting or was it earlier when you're when i was nine she started archery hunting or or shooting archery when she was six oh yeah i was at some seven i went yeah i went to some shoots with you and you were yeah so we've done some some 3d shoots there and that kind of got her started you know Mm -hmm. something she could do and then yeah, rifle 22. We started shooting 22 when she was eight or nine. And then when she got when she got her first deer tag in New Mexico is when we started really shooting uh, the larger rifles. Um, and that was before we even had our suppressors. So that was, I mean, we were shooting off a lead sled most of the time because the, the kick on any of the guns would scare. So we're trying to get acclimated to the big sounds and a little bit of the kick. And yeah. Um, so a lot of that was lead sled based, but we've gone away from that now that we have the suppressor and she shoots off a bipod prone most of the time. Yeah. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that, Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So, so Vivian, why do you like to yes. go? Um, well, it's fun and like I get to go camping and I get to shoot an animal. So, yeah. Yeah, and I like to see new places. So Yeah, you're getting to travel. Like I've never really even, I I think I've been in, yeah, I've been to New Mexico, but there's a lot of that state to explore. That'd be, that'd be, and you've been in some really cool parts of that state, being able to go up in the mountains and, and not just driving in a, through on a, on a highway, you're getting up in the mountains and seeing some different stuff. Um, is it, is stuff pretty similar to what you, you have there in Western Colorado or is it, could you tell you were in a different area? I could definitely tell sometimes that was in a different area because there was a lot of desert. A little more desert. And there was a lot of dead trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We live in the high desert. Of course, you don't have to get up very high to get into the mountains, but 
the Gila is where her two deer mule deer tags were in the Gila National Forest and a little bit of different vegetation because it's more south. Um, the Oryx hunts pure desert. <laughs> like there's almost nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, thorny branch bushes and uh, there's some thick stuff down there, but it's much different. And then the Coos Whitetail is definitely desert too. Uh, it's a lot thinner desert than we're used to. There's not as much sagebrush and stuff. Yeah. There were a lot of some pinion juniper down there, um, but a lot less, a lot thinner. Yeah. And of course, the elk hunt was actually here in our home area. So, oh, yeah. And since I know we've got a lot of, a lot of Arizona listeners and coos deer is a, um, a staple down there. With, it, was your coos deer in New Mexico as well? That's Arizona. New Mexico? It was Arizona. Oh, that was Arizona. Okay. Tell me, no. It was Arizona. Okay. Was Arizona. Sorry. The leg leg time in my in and that was getting confusing. Sorry. So um because we have those <laughs> Arizona listeners, uh tell us about that hunt. Mm. Well, so we the so we saw like two coos white-tailed deer fighting on a hillside that was like second day day two in the morning yeah yeah so we went up over there and and we're planning on hiking over to them but it was like really rocky so we didn't get over there like fast enough so they were gone there were still some does but we didn't see the bucks um and the next day we went to that same spot and we didn't see them. So we like went down and looked at some different spots and we saw a mule deer and we were about to shoot that one. She was actually set up on that one at 150 yards and and it ran away. Well, she decided <laughs> not to shoot it because she. <laughs> She's leaving some important details out, but go ahead. I I wanted to shoot Coos White Tail because I saw them around. And I'm like, I want to shoot one of those. I don't want to shoot another mule deer. Yeah. So um, we we camped that night. We camped that night, and um, the next day we drove around, and we so we saw some doe coos white-tailed does on a hillside so we just kept following the road and then all of a sudden there's a buck there's a coos white-tailed buck right there next to the road and i yell buck and like we get out of the car and like it runs so we go up the so we went up the hillside and like we snuck up on them and the wind was like going towards us, so it was not going towards them, so they couldn't smell us. And um, it took us a little time to like get up the hill and find a spot to put the gun and like find the bucks. But we found them, and there were two, and they were fighting. A more bucks fighting and um we i shot one of them and the other one ran up to hillside and so yeah that's it yeah that's awesome that's awesome your dad hasn't even shot a coos deer yet i know two people that have shot coos deer and she's one <laughs> but there you go yeah, it was a good hunt we got there and we left parachute at probably noonish. Got there about midnight. Just slept in the truck that night. It was kind of miserable, and because uh, I didn't want to get into our camp spot. And we found some mule deer that morning, a um, couple maybe whitetails, and just drove into our camp spot. That night didn't see a whole lot. The next morning, uh, we hiked up on top of a knob, and we we were looking across the river. Um, and I, we spotted a, what I thought was probably a 95 ish to a hundred inch white tailed buck with a couple other bucks and does there. And, um, I show Viv in the spotting scope and, 
And she goes, I want one. <laughs> I said, okay, do you want to go get that one? Yeah. Okay. So we boogie down and cross the river up the road. And it was about a mile hike in, but it was, it's a slog because the rocks are conglomerates. So it's got all, all these baseballs sitting on the ground and we're side hilling a mile in. And by the time we got there, they were gone. We saw the does again. They showed back up, but they, the bucks never came up. Um, so that night we, we looked for them again in the same spot, never found them. And the next morning we looked again and, um, and then that night, of course, we found that two point buck that was a mule deer and literally had her prone on a rock with the scope on it. And just, she just didn't want it. She said, I want a whitetail. So we went to camp that night and we were, it's, you know, it's day three and we haven't seen a whole lot. And, you know, that's when kids start to get a little discouraged, um, get a little tired so do, um, so do you don't 30 see a lot 40 year old men <laughs> yeah, this is very true but um i just asked her what do you want to do tomorrow because you know at that point i just want to keep her hooked and engaged and she said i just want to drive the road okay let's just drive the road because i've seen lots of big deer off that road and so we headed back toward the highway actually um eventually got to where she we saw a couple of whitetail does and then that one buck that buck actually um, was really big. It ended up being a hundred, it would probably been a 110 inch whitetail buck. Um, got out of the truck, tried to get her on it, just couldn't get it in the scope and it just walked up this drainage. So we hiked up, kept the wind hiked up over the top and just sat on a rock above that drainage. And it was only probably two, two, two or 300 yards of brush in this little drainage, maybe 20, 30 yards wide. And few does showed up and we saw a spike buck and um there was some openings and one of them was probably 10 yards wide and eventually those two two bucks the two biggest bucks were fighting um and we took and i was unsure if the wind was going to stay where it was because the morning was starting to to ebb and the wind was kind of starting to feel a little funny so um, that bigger buck actually walked into the trees and we had a shot on the next bigger buck, which is still a really big buck. <laughs> um, this was the second, she, biggest uh, the second biggest one. Yeah. She shot oh. the second biggest one, which, which ended up, it ended up 97, three eighths inches. Yeah. Wow. Um, Cause you know, she had a shot on it. So she ended up smoking it with one shot. Um, it ran about 10 yards. So that's awesome. Yep, that was a pretty good day. Yeah. Yeah. Not we might only... go back there someday to look again. Oh, for sure. That other buck ran out of the trees. That other buck ran out of the trees and looked at us at 200 yards broadside. And I was like, what have I done? <laughs> it's big. But wow. Um, it, you got to you... consider a 97 inch, a 97 inch coos whitetail is like shooting 190 inch mule deer, you know? So it was a good day. Yeah, and it's yeah. a it's a beautiful yeah. buck, nice and wide, short tines, but nice and wide, yep. and uh, just a gorgeous looking coos deer. That's awesome. And having a now that you know the score of that one, and in your mind you saw those bigger ones, you can picture those. I'm sure right now, um, for sure over a hundred. You know, those are definitely over. He was 100. a he was a hundred ten inch buck, pretty easy. Wow. He was big. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, she got a good one. We're, we're pretty happy about that. So um so next question for you, Vivian, is uh what do you want to do next? You're obviously passionate about certain things. When you saw that whitetail, you wanted it. What's the next thing you want to go hunt? She had an answer for me earlier. It was everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's it was great. kind of funny. Well, that's great. Is there anything specific that you want to go hunt? Like think about the animals that are on our wall. We can only do it, do it, do all, so many hunts in a year. Was, so that was the next, the next question I asked was, can you name one specifically? And what did you say? The goat. Mountain goat. Mountain goat. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, your mom and dad have both shot mountain goats. And uh, you're next in line, cause cause your mom got a mountain goat on the the uh, last hunt she went on to, right? I remember that. I yeah, know, we were 
in unit 12 in Colorado, G12 in the Maroon Bells, um, yeah. which has it's the really rugged big mountain range with several, like five or six 14,000 foot mountains in it. It's super steep and rocky. And um, yeah, she shot hers at 12,500 feet. Yeah, that's what I thought. I remember so the- We've been actually- I remember yep. the uh, um, mileage you were telling me you guys were putting in and everything on that hunt. And yeah. uh, I, I couldn't, I recall Between... that. I recall that more than I recalled the after if you actually shot one or not. But now, actually, now I'm talking about it, I think about it. That's the one that rolled hundreds of feet down the hill. Uh, yeah, it did. Yeah, we. So I think between scouting and hunting, we, we did 75 miles and 45,000 feet of elevation change. Um, and when she shot her goat, it was actually bedded down and she's, she's killed it and it just right over dead. And it was in a little, little bowl it had made for itself. And I thought it was going to stay. And then it just, it moved just a touch and it just, it took off down that hill and it didn't stop until almost the bottom. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it, it was pretty wrecked. Yeah. The, the taxidermist said he had to do 17 laceration repairs on the face. Oh, uh, lost a horn. He had to make a horn. Yeah. But it, it looks really good that, you know, he ended up doing a really good job, but yeah. Um, but Viv's done. How many 14ers have you done? Uh, four, five, three, four, five, so, four, four. She's done. So we've had the kids climbing 14ers the last couple summers. She's done four now. I think is what we're at. Yeah. So, so we're getting part, ready for that. That part doesn't scare you or make you nervous at all. If you're doing the 14ers, then then carrying a little extra weight and a gun's no big deal. That's awesome. You'll find your goat lord in 14. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Now, yeah. Now you got to just draw Let's one. Go. See, the biggest goat we saw in my wife's hunt was at the top of Capitol Peak. It's 14,200 feet. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why that big boy's up there. Um, so yeah. last question for you, Vivian, is, I mean, you're, you're, sounds like you're getting addicted to this. Um, dad and mom have put this in front of you as an option of something to do. And, and uh, I'm sure they're allowing you to make some of those choices and he's not going to drag you along if you don't really want to go. Um, but how do you see hunting be a, being a part of your life later on as you become an adult? Are you going to, do you think you're going to continue to hunt as an adult? I know it's hard to think of you're 12 now thinking of 10, 20 years later. Do you think you want to hunt and you, do you want to share that with your family? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why would you want to do that? It's fun. That's fun. What what makes it so fun? You get to shoot a buck. You get to spend time with your family. Um, you get to eat eat good so. food I know I have a bear and deer meatloaf on the smoker right now that I'm looking forward to and I'm texting Kristen saying nice. check the temp and as soon as that hits <laughs> cool it down so <laughs> I'm looking forward to it it's mixed between uh deer and that bear sausage that you've you've taught me how to make oh um yeah a pound of deer and a pound of the bear i do that instead of a pound of like pork sausage so then there's no sounds really good yeah there's no sausage in it or pork really in it at all it's just the just the bear being the sausage portion so it's quite good lots of cheese Yeah. yeah i'm looking forward to it what's your what's your favorite wild game meal to eat Who's white tail? Oh yeah. So when we process our own animals, I actually give her the choice of what to do with the meat. So what's your favorite thing that we did with that one? Mm, I like the Italian sausage and the breakfast sausage. Your yeah. dad makes a mean breakfast sausage for sure. <laughs> so yeah. 
Um, so, uh, yeah. Anything else, Vivian? That's just my, those are my couple of questions for you. Um, you've kind of said what's, you sort of said what's next. Oh, you got a draw. You're at the mercy of the draw for your mountain goat, but, um, I'm, I will be awaiting some pictures from your dad on you with another, um, monster bull or buck or something. I'm sure it's coming. So, uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you come up here and we'll, and we got yeah, $10 dough tags. The dough is, is, uh, going to be a freezer filler, but, uh, that's about all we can offer in South Dakota, but we've got it and we've got some land to, for you to go on, but, um, okay. it's a white tail dough. Or, well, actually I take that back. You're 12 years old. You could apply for the regular season. You can go shoot a buck for sure. I got some landowners that would definitely allow you to come shoot a shoot a uh, prairie whitetail. You don't have one of those. You have a you neither have a of us do. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna start knocking us off. I don't have. Yeah, absolutely. I and kind of neat. Have... You know, the youth opportunity. One of the neat things about youth opportunity is kids have a chance to experience those hunts that none of us did as kids because those youth opportunities a lot of this stuff is new um you know she's she's getting to hunt things that i'd never have gotten to hunt before um you know in areas that i've never hunted before which is which is really neat um to have her experience those things yeah i'm kind of jealous actually <laughs> yeah and at a, an affordable cost i mean it's the it's it's very affordable yeah. so i'm going to dig into that in another episode yeah. and try and find some good good uh, opportunities for youth across the West. But um, Jason, just in your opinion, what do you think is an effective or what's the most effective um, recruitment look like as to who are we targeting? How are we doing that? Um, just in your opinion for recruitments wise, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, as parents, first of all, we're going to address parents first because they have direct control over the the lives of their kids. I I think that you know the outdoor club that we had at, at the high school there together, Clint. Uh, the theme that the theme was get outside. You know, you just have to take your kids and you have to get them outside. And um, for my kids, it was kind of interesting. Even though we were outside a lot, it, even now, if we say, "Hey, let's go hiking." no, I don't want to go hiking. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going hiking, whether you like it or not. And eventually it starts to come around and to the point where they actually enjoy it. Um, you know, we do quite a bit of skiing in the winter and prior to this year, just about every time let's go skiing. Ah, I don't want to, I'm tired. And now we're starting to see, um, our kids overcome that not wanting to be cold and all that stuff. And they actually want to go have fun skiing. Um, and, and so just get kids outside and get them doing things. Even if you just go put a fishing line in the water, you know, go do something fun, go look at animals, just go drive, drive up on a hill and go look for animals. And in a spot that, you know, there are animals, you know, that's very yeah. helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, as far as, you know, system-wide in the role that you have and then as in my role as an outdoor club sponsor at a high school uh i i look for kids that have interest in it um that don't have any opportunity for it i think those are our biggest gains right so get the kids that want to give it a shot and are willing to try it um and get them out there um and sponsor it you know get it get it out there and you know we have a very well done outdoor ed uh, system in our school district. Uh, thanks to you, Clint. And uh, it's continuing and we're just getting kids out. Um, especially the kids, you know, we have that outdoor club for the kids that want to actually do it. Um, but we are also have started a program where we give each grade and we're trying to get this done K K 12. Uh, we're giving each grade a class trip every year. Awesome. Um, so we've taken the freshmen at our high school to hanging Lake, uh, each of the last two years, next year, we're planning on taking the sophomores, we're adding a sophomores rafting trip. 
Um, I know that the fifth graders go snowshoeing every year. Like we're trying to build those activities in. So everybody has an option. Um, But at the same time, having those smaller clubs where you can get a little bit more um, detailed and a little bit more rigorous, I guess I would say, and get kids out there in different spots that are more friendly to smaller groups like camping uh, in the winter and stuff like that. Um, So and it works. So those would be my big. It works so well that the location of where you're at uh, hanging lake is right there. Um, hour away yeah and then um yep. i know the fourth grader certain no that was roaring fork they went up to the maroon bells one year before covid and then like the rafting there was great relationships we were starting to build with the rafting companies and uh go up to where you live and you've got ski slope right yep. there um just all kinds of opportunities all kinds of opportunities and and that's pretty cool to to hear that i'd starting to build that program was was uh slowed quite a bit by covid and and administration just wanting to yeah. keep a school open and trying to keep it keep it running so um doing what i did i know was not top priority in 2020 um but just trying to maintain was and sort of keep heads above water is what what i know we were trying to do but um i'm glad that those that's seeing some recovery and getting some growth on that because uh put a lot of put a lot of energy into that and uh um run by a different person i know that that's going to look a little different because different ideas passions look like things like that but it still comes down to the same thing getting kids outside and and uh um getting those experiences so that's great um what uh besides getting out and just getting your kids out and and that exposure over and over again what other strategies have you done with uh elijah and vivian to um kind of pique some of that interest or get them started right like when did you put a gun in their hands for the first time and and those sorts of things uh well like i said we've always uh hiking is really where we started them because it's easy just to go hike for half a mile or a mile you know, and when they get tired, um, you always say, okay, when we get to the end, we do a, we do a Tootsie pop at the top, right? That's one of my strategies. So, um, anytime we're climbing a mountain, when we get to the top, you get a Tootsie pop and that as little of a thing as that is, and as funny as it sounds, it just, it kind of keeps them going. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we do is I always keep the wilderness athlete Superman's handy. You know, when they start to drag a little bit, you just give them a little bit of that and it gives them a little bump. So, um, you know, you're really training their minds to know that they can do it because the kids are kind of hardwired to think that that's a big mountain and I can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. That's all they hear people say is I can't, I can't, I can't. And you kind of have to train them out of that. And so those are, you know, just take lots of snacks, uh, have some sort of a prize at the end and have some some good fluids to keep them going. Um, so what was, what was your question? Redirect me on that. Oh, just, um, those strategies, like, uh, the reward that, that, the other things, um, yep. And then, you know, we bought them their own packs. You know, we always, like, I have my own pack. Aaron has her own pack, get the kids their own small backpacks. Um, you know, they make some pretty affordable 50 to $100, kids packs that are neat colors that they like and have a water bladder in them and they can carry their own snacks. Um, you know, get them good shoes, like keeping kids in good shoes is important. Cause if they, like, like I said before, when kids start to get miserable, they start to dislike things pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so if you can keep their feet healthy and keep them, um, you know, keep them rolling down the trail, then it's a lot more fun for them. Um, and then do you just do short, easy stuff if you need to, like uh, really those short hikes. And then we started our kids on archery when I was pretty heavily training for train to hunt. Uh, my kid, Vivian actually did a couple of train to hunts herself. And so did my wife. And mm-hmm. uh, so the visibility of the kids seeing those things that uh, we enjoy doing um, and seeing success in those things. And then, um, you know, we get them their own little bows and, as soon as they're ready, we upgraded them and we shoot here at the house um, quite a bit. 
And then we take them to those fun camping trips where we go to a 3D shoot and, um, you know, so just find things that your family enjoys doing, um, have ways to make it enjoyable, right? That's, that's, those are the kind of the big two things. Yeah. I, I've been enjoying the, um, little, little successes as we're out. Like, uh, we haven't been home for a week. And so we got home and we could just see that the deer bedded in our yard. We could see the turkeys walk through. <laughs> and so Ty goes out and yeah. Dad, look, look, come over here, look. And he's pointing out, there's sign everywhere, but the thing he's pointing out is the poop. It's like, there's deer poop right here. It's like, yep. you got it, buddy. And it's just the being, a, I guess my tert, uh, title is a naturalist at work. That's what I do is, but being a naturalist in, with our kids to see um, as we're walking around, what is that? What is What is this thing? What is that thing? Um, because I know in, in a lot of books that they read, you learn about African animals, you learn about whales, you learn about things that are so far away. And a lot of kids don't get to learn about the things that are right here in our backyard where they can't identify a pheasant or you can't identify a grouse and it's here. But yet he was talking, my five-year-old was talking about a, uh, God, what's that little hard shelled thing that thought started the pandemic, the the penguin penguin he was talking about a penguin today <laughs> oh, <gee. laughs> i don't even know what that is <laughs> oh yeah it's like a asian armadillo is what it is but he's talking oh, okay. about yeah he's talking about that thing and it's like well you learned that on wild Kratz, i guess somewhere and um somewhere yeah we we did that too. Yeah. Hey, I've I've see, I've seen a couple of mistakes on that show where they're po- pointing out the wrong species. Uh, they pulled a largemouth bass out of the water and they called it a smallmouth. Was like, Ty, they don't know everything. They need to get their species accuracy right. They're getting a couple things wrong. But yeah, just being a naturalist with the kids and getting them excited about what's this nut. Because if you can't find the animals, then at least you can see the sign and see. Look, there's a rub. We've been pointing out rubs and scrapes and and all those kinds of things all over the place. But yeah, yep, that's a good time. Yeah, and as an I'd say as an added bonus, getting kids out on stuff like this. If we're out hunting and we do harvest an animal, there's a the educational aspect of this, from my perspective, is both a parent and a teacher is really big. Like I can take her out. I think on her coos deer hunt, we left at noon on a Friday. She missed half a day of school. She missed. Uh, Let's see, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, she shot the deer. So she missed school Tuesday. We got back Wednesday morning. She missed school that day so we could clean up and process the deer. So she missed two and a half days of school for that hunt. But she learned about the Arizona desert environment. There was a river running through there. That's crazy to think that there's a desert out there, that there's a river running through. Learned about a new species of deer. Um, you know, we saw <clears throat> there's bighorn sheep out there. We saw tracks for those learned about a bunch of new plant life. And then, you know, when you cut an animal up, there's the anatomy lessons that come in that. And then you're also teaching your kids about the cycle of life and death. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's new birth and then things live their life. And then when they mature, they can die. Um, and, and provide, you know, at this point, taking a mature older buck, is a good thing because that buck has lived its life it's spread its genes on and now it's getting past its breeding life it's a good time to take it um so they learn a lot of those lessons that um are very valuable in life to think about because if you think think about it gets them to think about the future and you know kids don't think about the future very well but it gets them to think about those things and you know so the, the lessons inherent in taking kids outside and and especially hunting are are really really important what was your involvement, Vivian, in, in the field dressing? Pulling well, the hide back, I guess. Yeah, she's she's been a holder most of the animals so far, but yeah. I've been uh, I've handed her the knife a couple of times now. Yeah. Um so we're starting to get into the, the point where she's going to start cutting on the animals um, and and doing some of the. She does some of the processing, too. 
with me as well. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that's but, great. You know, when you're out in the woods, it's hard for me to hand a surgical steel scalpel to a 12 year old, you know, because I don't want her to cut herself when we're not two hours from the closest medical care. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We're, we're starting to ramp that in. She's seen me do it enough times now that we're, we're definitely increasing that, that involvement. Yep. No, I think that's one that she definitely it, knows how heavy a, or a, she definitely knows how heavy a rear quarter on an elk is now. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to hold up for a while, aren't they? Yeah. No. And, so, and being that it's not the same as you and I starting at 12 years old. Um, it's, these nine, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids, we got to ease them into it. Uh, it's okay to ease them into it and, um, do the, yep. do some of that or all the field dressing for the most part. Cause, uh, it takes a little bit of practice yeah. to know how to wield a knife safely and use that. And, um, like you said, that's a, that's a huge safety thing. So that's important. Um, but my last, uh, thing that, I was asking in that last question too, I wanted to hear uh, about getting a gun in the hands of, of your kids. When, when have you started doing that? Like I said, they started shooting archery when they were about six. Um, and that's again, very guided. I'm helping them hold the bow. I'm helping them pull it back, all that stuff. Um, and then Elijah is my son is a lot more attuned to to shooting the gun. He likes it more than Vivian does. So he actually started the same year she did, but he's three years younger. Hmm. <laughs> so she started probably shooting when she was eight or nine. Um, so he started when he was five or six, just because he showed interest. Um, I bought them a cricket single shot bolt action twenty two, and. Every time we go out, we run through the rules of gun safety, you know, and I'm pretty strict on them on obeying those rules of gun safety. Uh, so they know those rules. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're learning about that bolt action. Um, and it's safer because it's only a single shot. They have to load every shell at the same time. And, you know, and then, um, I think just this year we've actually moved them into, we went, um, and we started shooting pistols. So we have, I, I purchased a nine millimeter pistol over um, break and we all, we went and shot all of our, our concealed carry pistols. Uh, so again, Elijah takes right to it and enjoys mm -hmm. it more than Viv does, but she'll still do it, um, you know, just so she can learn and have that opportunity there. Um, and then just increasing that, you know, and starting like if you can, start with a 22 that has no recoil, you know, and then maybe move into uh, maybe a 22 Magnum and then move into, you know, just kind of bump it up a little bit when the kids are ready. Uh, Cause I know in my experience, I was afraid of big rifles when I was yep. in, even into high school. Cause that's all I shot and I didn't like the recoil and they were loud. Um, but my kids have become comfortable with it because of the way we've kind of, titrated them into it um yeah you know and now we then they bumped up to the 22 250 and, and then i put a suppressor on that and now they're they're shooting a 308 and i could probably put vivian uh, on a bigger gun now without a suppressor she would probably shoot that 22 250 pretty easily without one um so we just kind of work them into it as you go and um if they're not comfortable with it uh, you get to push your kids a little bit, you know, get them out of their comfort zone a little bit. But if they don't like it, you back off and move them back to what they like and then try again, maybe into the next year, you know. Yeah. Vivian, who's so. a better shot? You're Elijah. Me. Yeah, she's definitely a better shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, if I gave him a 22 a ruger 22 semi-automatic with a 30 round magazine he'd probably empty the thing if i let him let's yep. just put it that way because he's a nine-year-old boy yep. <laughs> likes so. to hear the likes to hear the the little bang likes to hear, see the dirt fly yeah he does and the clays break and whatever For else sure. you guys are shooting or the metal ting well yep. um vivian i thanks so much for your time and your input and uh believe it or not the the simple answers that you've given are not so simple there's a lot people can take from this and think about um 
there's little things like uh, um, the discussing gun safety with your kid every single time. That is a, uh, I haven't really started much more than a pellet rifle with Ty. So that's a great habit to get into and start with. So I think there's going to be some people that have some takeaways on what they can do to learn from what you're doing uh, and uh, not push their kid too far, but to push them just the right amount and to enjoy the yep. outdoors and share this with uh, your kids down the road and, and everyone else that maybe some friends or whoever you, you inspire, but uh, pretty cool to, to see your success. That's been fun to watch. Um, how did the orcs taste? I mean, that's something I would It hear. was good. Is that pretty good? Yeah. That's a, that's a different kind yeah, of young, young, really good. Yeah, definitely a meat so. that, that not many people get to try. So very cool. But all right, guys. Well, thanks again. And we'll uh, let you get back to your probably supper or go eat some food and whatever yeah, else. About dinner time, six o'clock. Yep. Me we too. Smell it, so. <laughs> that's awesome. All, all right. right Clint, thanks, guys. A bunch. See ya. Yep. Bye bye. My ground, this is God's country.